Hi there, and welcome to the second chapter in our discussion with um, Derek Dupree, who is influencer and editor at global tech publication Digenomica, where he chats about the future of work with both Geordie Ferrer from ServiceNow, who is the VP and GM of the UK and I, and also Paul Hardy from our innovation team. Over the past year, COVID-19 has really shone a light on decision makers thinking about what the future of work will look like. And that's largely in part been driven by the drive to distributed work and new processes and how we can get work done in a distributed environment. But when I talk to customers and I talk to buyers in the enterprise, so much of what they're thinking about now um, centers around this idea of AI and automating work to a certain extent. Whilst that is front of mind for people, I think because AI has been such a hot topic for a couple of years, I think there's a bit of disillusionment there and people aren't entirely convinced about the reality of what AI can do for them in the enterprise. Um, So it would be good good to get a good idea from you guys. What is achievable now around AI and automation and what should companies be thinking about this in, in this area? Paul, shall we start with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Derek. Um, I I think the first thing for me is AI, intelligent automation, virtual agents, all of this kind of capability is really there for one thing. And it's meeting people where they are, making sure that they have the tools and the information they need to get their job done. So whether it's a virtual agent that might um, get work done and write the first time, that's critical. Whether that's, you know, maybe in-platform translation from languages to other languages, whether that's creating a flexible environment for people to you know, do the work that they need to do. But the key part for me is allowing humans to do the jobs that only humans can do. All of that automated, mundane, repeatable work that we've talked about before it is really key that we drive that away. It increases loyalty with people that work in an organization, but it means that they can focus on the things that really matter, the moments that matter, Whereas, you know, you can look at things like orchestration and, and you can look at, you know, capabilities around incident deflection. So stopping stuff happening in the first place, that to me is really why automation exists. It's not just there for automation's sake. It's not there because it's the new shiny thing that everybody's using. Clearly, everybody's going down this path, but they're doing it for a specific reason. They're doing it for a specific purpose, which it increases, you know, capabilities in their organization. It means that they can be first to first to market with new products and services, but it means that the people in their organization feel like they're making um, a great uh, contribution and effect to the business. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think often when people talk about AI and automation, front of mind for them is the concern around job displacement or what it means for the employees in the enterprise. And I think sometimes that argument is, or that discussion is framed in the wrong way. It should be about the opportunity for employees in the enterprise as a result of introducing AI and automation. Um, Jordi, I was just wondering what your thoughts on that were. Very similar. I, I think I think it's about thinking about it in terms of how are you going to differentiate as an enterprise? And that needs to be about better engagement with your customers. It has to be a giving a providing a better quality of service, an outstanding service itself. And so the tools need to support the humans to do the work. And I agree with you that sometimes it is interpreted as we can we can displace people, we can make ourselves cheaper. But actually, is that really what is going to give you the competitive advantage? Because maybe the startup that you're competing with um, doesn't have the legacy, doesn't have the overhead. So, so I think that on a temporary basis, you might do it. But the key 
is quality, engagement, uh, um, cross-sell, and more added value to the customers. Um, and I think, I think we all suffer that. I mean, you, you deal with lots of enterprises every day and as a consumer, and you really get frustrated when you get really bad service. And it might be cheap for that enterprise, but you have plenty of choice. You, you'll go somewhere else. So, so I think it's a great opportunity for organizations to focus in that way and not, not in terms of elimination of headcount, et cetera, because that, that's not going to really lead to the, to the right place over time. Yeah, and I think the other thing I often wonder and think about is when people talk about AI and automation, I think they assume that your company needs to have this data science team with hundreds of people and you need to have this huge data lake and all these really difficult AI components that um, perhaps every enterprise can't afford to invest in or doesn't know how to do. It would be useful to hear from you both. Do you think that there is ways of tackling low hanging fruit and sort of getting good enough AI for the enterprise? Paul, that would be useful to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we did some. Uh, we did a, a business, a really high-level business value assessment, actually, with a with a uh, customer recently. Just in fact, it was, we we finished it a couple of weeks back, um, and we actually found out that between thirty and forty different request types make up about eighty percent of the work that goes through a service desk or a, a, a shared service center desk. So actually, the low-hanging fruit is identifying those thirty or forty request types and really starting to eat in an impact the level of work that your analysts are having to do um, and the work that needs to be done. And of course, this for me is not just, this is not just an IT issue, right? This is cross-functional, cross-departmental because there's there's some great processes out there. I mean, we often talk about onboarding, for instance, when someone joins an organization, it's really the true only cross-functional um, process that a business has. And to be able to automate much of that process whether it's finance or facilities or HR or payroll or IT, they're all connected in a single process. And it's really important for us to automate as much of that, not only for experience perspective, but also because, of course, it just makes sense. You get you get things right, you get data right, and then you can reuse those components in the future. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Um, I also wanted to talk about, obviously, there's been so much discussion over the past year or so around the future workplace. And I know ServiceNow has had a role in this in terms of releasing some apps to support that. Um, you know, there's discussion around what will the competitive advantage be? Will it be allowing all your people to work from home, a hybrid environment, making everyone go back to the office? Um, I just wanted to hear from you both. What do you think that's going to look like in the future? Do you think it matters what approach a company takes? And how is that going to impact digital buying decisions going forward, I guess? Um, should we start with you, Jordi? Yeah, well, I, I think, um, thank you, Derek. I, I think that's, that is going to be very important in the future, both from the fact that I think, I think the, the last year has proven that work happens where people are. So work is maybe not so much a place. Uh, and secondly, it's about enabling people with the right information, with the right technology to be able to drive those those workflows, those activities that uh, they do every day. So, so I think there's been a, a recognition that it is possible. Uh, uh, to me, it, it, was, it was surprising to talk to organizations who've actually put a trading center, uh, 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 to put a, a, a you know, desk, a trading desk in someone's home things that you would say, well, it'd be a great idea many years ago, but now it's obvious you have to do it uh, or have thousands of, of contact center agents working from home. So I actually think society will potentially be better off by recognizing those capabilities 
but then that also drives a new set of requirements. You know, how do I drive compliance? How do I how do I verify that people are doing uh, their jobs in the right way and have the right means? Um, how do I provide information to the regulator? So I think you, you you're creating a set of requirements that that um, are going to enable businesses to operate in a sustainable way, in a compliant way, uh, and yet to be able to benefit from having offices, but also having part of the workforce being uh, working remotely as as they need. So so I even think that we're going to be able to attract more talent that is much more dispersed across the country. Mm -hmm. And that has lots of implications for society, has a lot of implications in terms of travel. Uh, so so I, I really believe that businesses have a great opportunity to end up with a better society, with a more competitive society and a more understanding society, especially also in terms of gender, in terms of um, uh, understanding families uh, and, and the roles that uh, fathers and mothers play. So, so I think it's a it's a it's a really good thing. I think. Brilliant. And Paul, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's clear. You know, we've we've seen this move from um, you know the, the the old legacy enterprise technologies and ways of working to this consumer grade expectation. Um, and to Jordy's point, this really helps us focus on things like loyalty and retention, not only of employees but of course of of customers, which is which is phenomenal. I mean, arguably, why would we ever want to go back? to some of the old ways that we used to work because they were frankly you know outdated and legacy themselves so i think it's really you know this is an opportunity we've said it before it's probably an opportunity of of our generation of our lifetime to evaluate what we're currently doing not just reuse it because we've got to because it's there you know geordie mentioned before that how about starting with a blank sheet of paper and saying what does the perfect world really look like Let's at least mm -hmm. work towards that rather than trying to fix our legacy. Obviously, some of these things have to continue in parallel. We totally get that and understand that. But that experience focus will make or break the ability to protect and grow your business. And I think that's really the focus that certainly CXOs that I'm speaking to are, are really having now. Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things for me over the past year has been how um, distributed work has shone a light on how um, ridiculous silos in an organization are when the physical barriers aren't there in the office. And all of a sudden, when everyone's working from home, people need to really be able to get that work done without being able to pop over to HR or customer service and get the information that they need. Um, so my question to you is, what are the technical and technology implications of this going forward? What are the things that customers are thinking about in order to make sure work does get done effectively in this way? Back to the to, to the previous point, I, I a lot of the reasons why these things didn't happen were actually cultural. Um, mm. The technology has been around for quite a few years, but I think just people in their mind wanted to have maybe managers uh, having a whole lot of people sitting outside their office, uh, and so I think that's that's by removing those barriers, we've enabled a lot of technology that exists. Now, if we complement that with better technology like what we were mentioning about AI and, and, and the process automation, et cetera, those are additives that are accelerating uh, the change for organizations and enabling people to work more productively. So, mm -hmm. so I, I, I think that it always goes back to cultural issues, organizational issues, technology is there, it will only get better with time. But unless we drive that cultural change and, uh, and, and the leadership of organizations embraces the change and it's not, it doesn't perceive it as just risk, then I think organizations will progress to the level that they can. Absolutely. 
Paul, did you want to add anything um, as a final point on that? Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, and I had a really interesting conversation actually just yesterday, funny enough, and it, it's so pertinent for this conversation, which is, um, you know, there's a whole new set of metrics and KPIs that are needed in business to measure the success of not only your people, but how well the business is doing. You know, historically, those kind of rudimentary IT KPIs, which are still needed, you know, how mm. what's the uptime of a system? How well is it working? What about how people feel about using that system or how happy they are? I mean, I always remember it sticks in my heart from, from years ago. Gartner used to always talk about, you know, happy people equal more productivity. And that more productivity is both productivity for themselves, but they create better products for their customers. And, of course, that hits the top and bottom line, depending on what sort of company you've got, and there's profitability there. So if we focus on the people giving them the tools, giving them the, the expertise that they need, the knowledge that they need, making it modular enough so it becomes agile, so it can be changed regularly or, or continuously, um, really gives us a place where we suddenly we harmonize. Those silos start to break down naturally. People are using the platforms or the, the tools that they want to use, but it's then building into what the business goals and objectives really are, which is ultimately driving that business forward. Go on, Sorry, Jamie, I was no, just going to make the comment. Uh, uh, what do you think about the other two-way conversation, which is about asking employees? What do they think? You know, how do they influence the mm. process? And 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 that that engagement that I think is so critical because there's so much intellectual capital in businesses that sometimes it's not being listened to. I wanted to ask you both. I think two of the areas that have been really put under pressure over the past year or so have been on the one side, customer service management or customer relationship management, where companies that have not been able to rely on their traditional channels perhaps have realized that they need to be more flexible and need to cater to the needs of their customers better in this digital modern modern age and then the other side of the coin that was um really struggled over the past year was supply chain management and you know we saw in the early days with companies struggling to get goods to their customers or struggling to source their materials and supply chain visibility and supply chain management has really come under strain as well i wanted to hear from you both over in the conversations that you've been having with your customers what are the priorities that um, buyers are setting around these areas of csm and supply chain management and perhaps what they should be thinking about going forward over the next year or two uh paul it would be good to hear from you first yeah absolutely so um there's a couple of there's a couple of points here so kind of operational risk and resilience that's happening every every day um, and as you said, Derek, it's been kind of expedited. I think there's a there's a connection between customer service, vendor, supplier management. All of these things have, you know, you know, workflows that are happening within them that are really important to get to get right. Um, and one of the things that we often talk about is this kind of connected approach to um, making sure that people have the right tools and the right um, things in front of them. If we look at CSM, for instance, so customer service management, this is really about um, how do we um, enable people to work fluidly right across from when they have an issue all the way through to the resolution. So this is kind of that end-to-end -end life cycle approach, much mm. like it would be of onboarding a new supplier, making sure that that supplier is performing well, um, and, and also equally, you know, when you, you move or change or add a different supplier, maybe you've got to remove them from the systems too. So actually, you know, there is, a, there is somewhat of a comparison between the two, and I think this is a a real opportunity to review those uh, steps, review those processes, 
Um, and then just to touch on your point about CSM in a little bit more detail, you know, since the ban pandemic hit, interestingly, when everybody went to work from home, the only service desk that an organization had was the IT service desk. So, of course, they used to get a plethora of different types of request types that, of course, they couldn't resolve. Therefore, it was hitting their traditional SLAs were being breached because they weren't hitting the right ones. So what we're actually seeing is this kind of whole approach around a unified request. So our ability to put something in a layer before we, we send it to the correct team. We want to make sure that we get things done properly and we want them to be done fixed first time. Um, but it also means that you can then send things to your customer service team when it's specifically a customer. That's one less hop or one less jump for a piece of work to go through, which means that you're going to reduce time. You're going to create that great experience for, for, for employees customers and of course suppliers equally equally too so i think there's a there's kind of a connection between the two we haven't got enough time to go into more detail but um yeah it's a really interesting topic and subject really interesting paul and um geordie what are your thoughts well very similar to what paul said i i think the fact that um customers can have a single view of all of the data is allowing them to uh skip that hurdle of all the different silos because if you think about it, as a customer, you, you, you call in to get some help, excuses don't help. What you want is your, your issue solved and, and you don't really care what, how the organization is structured and what problems they have. And so I think what we're enabling is for customers to have that seamless interaction amongst the silos and then that ends up being a, a, a seamless interaction for the, for the consumer or even the internal user. Brilliant. Jordi, Paul, thanks so much. This has been a really interesting discussion and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks Thank very you. much. And if you enjoyed this, there is one more coming up. Thank you. Thanks.